Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, which means that he must be guided by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the thing above all else that I desire at this time. This morning we heard the chief officer, the chief oracle of the kingdom of God on earth, give the mind and will and voice of the Lord to the Latter-day Saints and to the world. If I could follow in that pattern and speak as President Lee speaks, I can think of nothing greater unless it would be to live as he lives so that I could have the association eternally of the kind of people that he will associate with. I've counseled with the Lord as to what I should say today, have made some suggestions to him as to what I thought proper, subject to his approving concurrence, and I have received that concurrence. And if I can now be given an uttering tongue, and you can have a listening ear, then all of us together can be edified as we here seek to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I've written a text of my own, which I've entitled, Upon Judea's Plains. I stood upon Judea's plains and heard celestial sounds and strains. I heard an angel free from sin announce the birth of David's kin. On shepherds watching sheep by night, there came a shining glorious light as holy choirs from heaven's dome saw God's own Son make clay his home. And voices sweet sang this reprise, To God on high let praise arise. And peace, goodwill to men on earth, This is the day of Jesus' birth. To me there came this witness sure, He is God's Son, supreme and pure. To earth he came, my soul to save, from sin and death and from the grave. Now, salvation is in Christ. He is the Savior and Redeemer. He came into the world to redeem men from the temporal and spiritual death brought into the world by the fall of Adam. And he gave a plan and system of salvation that's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this system is that all men everywhere should have faith in Christ, should repent of their sins, should covenant in the waters of baptism to keep the commandments and serve God with all their heart, mind, and strength, that they should then receive the gift and companionship of the Holy Spirit and live in righteousness and devotion thereafter all their days, 
with the assurance and promise that if they so do, they will have peace in this life and eternal glory in the life to come. Now we're the agents and representatives of the Lord. He has given us the fullness of his everlasting gospel. The heavens have been opened in our day. The voice of God is heard again. Angels have come from his presence. Keys and power and authority and priesthood have been given again to mortal men. And once again, we know all of the laws and the prerogatives and have all of the powers that are needed to save and exalt a human soul. We hold in this kingdom, in this church, the keys of the kingdom of God, the keys of salvation for all men everywhere. And he's given us the same commission that he gave to people in ancient days who had similar powers. And that commission is to carry his word to all the world and make salvation available to his children everywhere. Now this places upon us the obligation of learning how we're going to do this thing of such incomparable and transcendent magnitude. How are we going to take the message of the restoration to the world and proclaim the truths of salvation among our own people? There are some eternal principles involved here. And what we do in our day is exactly and precisely in principle what the prophets and righteous men have done in all the ages past. In the early days of this dispensation, the Lord said that the elders, priests, and teachers of my church shall teach the principles of my gospel which are in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon, in the which is the fullness of my everlasting gospel. And then he said on another occasion that we were sent out to testify and warn the people. I suppose these two commissions, the one hand, on the one hand to teach the doctrines of the gospel and on the other hand to testify by personal knowledge that we know that the things we are proclaiming are true, I suppose these are perfectly illustrated in the ministry of the sons of Mosiah. You'll recall that the record says that they made diligent study of the word of God, that they came to a knowledge of the scriptures, that they then fasted and prayed many days, so that when they spoke, they spoke with the spirit of prophecy and with the spirit of revelation. They spoke as men having authority. Now this gives us two premises. On the one hand, we are obligated and required to know the doctrines of the church. We are to treasure up the words of eternal life. We're to reason as intelligently as we are able, use every faculty and capacity with which we are endowed. 
to proclaim the message of salvation and make it intelligent to ourselves and to our father's other children. But after we've done that, and in the process of doing it, we're obligated to bear testimony and let the world know and our associate members of the church know that in our hearts, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit to our souls, we know of the truth and divinity of the work and of the doctrines that we teach. Now let me, if I may, take the classical illustration from the ancient records of how this was done. Peter and his associates had the same obligation that we have, to carry the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Now I suppose that Peter could very well have read the revelations that Isaiah and the prophets gave. He could have reasoned on them, bring forth your strong reasons, and I suppose that he did all this. But he did something more than that. After he taught the doctrines, after he had reasoned, he bore a personal witness of the truth and divinity of what he was presenting to his fellow men. And the Lord prepared him to do that by giving him spiritual experiences, by letting the power of the Holy Spirit rest upon him. You recall, for instance, that Peter and some others of the Twelve and a small group of saints were assembled in an upper room, that the Lord Jesus appeared, that they, the people there assembled, were terrified and affrighted. And the Lord said to him, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And they stretched forth their hands, and they felt the wound marks that scarred his body. He called for meat and ate it before them. Now this was a process that the Lord was using to give a witness of the truth and divinity of what was involved to Peter and his associates. If it was true that he rose from the dead, then he was the Son of God. And if he was the Son of God, then this gospel of salvation that they were proclaiming was true. And so their commission was to establish in the minds of men that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, as I say, they might have attempted to do this, by quoting Isaiah, or reasoning out of the revelations, which I'm persuaded that they must have done, but then they had to bear a witness. And I'd like to read you a sample of the witness that Peter bore. He said to a group of assembled Gentiles, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee, 
after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. And then the comprehensive, all-inclusive statement to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Let me read one other testimony that Peter bore. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Now I do not minimize in any degree or to any extent the obligation that rests upon us to be gospel scholars, to search the revelations, to learn how to reason and analyze to present the message of salvation among ourselves and to the world with every compelling power and ability that we have. But that standing alone does not suffice. When that's all over, we have to comply with the command that the Lord gave us in this day when he said, Ye are my witnesses that I am God. We have to put an approving divine seal on the testimony that we bear. And that seal is the seal of personal knowledge born of the Holy Ghost. Now Peter could have re reasoned at great length. And after having so done, people could have argued with him and said, You don't understand the scriptures. You interpret it in error. This or that is wrong. But you can't argue with a testimony. And so when Peter had reasoned, if he said to them, as he must have done in substance and thought content on many occasions, if he said to them, I was in an upper room, 
The Lord Jesus came through the wall. He appeared to us. I recognized him. He was the same person with whom I had labored and traveled for three and a half years. He's the person who lived in my home in Capernaum. I then felt the nail marks in his hands and in his feet. I thrust my hand into his side. I was there. When he ate food and drank before us, I know he's the Son of God. The Holy Spirit of God has borne the witness to my soul. Now you can't argue with that kind of a presentation. You can say, like they said about Paul, much learning hath made thee mad. But all you can do as is accept or reject. It's either true or it's false. How do you prove and establish that the Father and the Son appeared to Joseph Smith? That angels came in our day? Well, you reason out of the revelations. You can make a good case. That isn't any problem. The truth is with us. The Lord is the author of the system that we have. But after you've reasoned and after you've analyzed, you've got to stand as a personal witness who knows what he's saying. You have to do what the sons of Mosiah did, speak and teach by the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation, and the result is that you speak as one having authority. And this is the great thing that separates us from the world. And thanks be to God, we have this knowledge, we've received this revelation, and we're in a position to speak as those having authority. And I attempt with all the vigor of my soul to do that on this occasion, because I am one among many, among great hosts in latter-day Israel who have this knowledge and who know of myself, of the truth and divinity of this work. Now we began upon Judea's plains. Let's close in an upper room. We sat at meat, our souls in pain, for wicked men our Lord had slain. We'd seen him on the cross of doom. His body lay in Joseph's tomb. Then by our board he stood once more. He lives, he lives, now as afore. He ate, then drank, we saw, then felt, as at his feet in awe we knelt. A calm command to Thomas came, Feel thou my hands, they are the same, as when I hung upon the tree, and suffered death for me and thee. To me he said in solemn tones, My body feel, tis flesh and bones. My soul cried out, Bow neath his rod, Acclaim him Savior, Lord and God. And of this I testify, In solemnity and sobriety, with full knowledge of what I speak, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.